0: Hello everyone, my name is Jinx Monsoon and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. (laughs) Today my guest is Hale Appleman, who I met this weekend at the Emerald City Comic Con. You may know him from the role he played in the cult horror film Teeth. You may know him from the fantasy serial magicians, but I just know him as my new friend, Hale. Listen to our conversation about gender norms and uh, sexual politics in the world of film and TV acting, and uh, listen to us just kind of have a lovely chat about our experience at the Emerald City Comic Con, all today on Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. Did I already do that part? Hunker down, sink your teeth in, and buckle up for some brand new. Hi, (laughs) chinks! M. Oh, M. Mom! Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by actor, horror cult film star, magician, and general chill person, Hale Appleman. Hi, Hale. Hi, Jinx. <laughs> so we're sitting here in your hotel room hmm. because you and I were both working the Emerald City Comic-Con. That's right. And by working I mean we were we were you know, invited guests. <laughs> <laughs> I I keep saying, I've been working the Comic-Con, working and it makes it com. sound like I was, like, working passing out a hors d'oeuvres. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, when they asked me to moderate your panel with Bendala, my, my heart exploded, and I was very excited. It was the most exciting email I've gotten in a long time. Your heart exploded? Yeah. <laughs> I don't have one anymore. No. <laughs> There's an okay. empty cavity where once...
0: I think you're uh, going to want to get that looked at. I don't
1: know who to ask.
0: <laughs> it's Seattle. There's uh, we're, we're right by Harborview. <laughs> um, so I have to start with teeth. Let's just get immediately into teeth. I, yeah. Because I feel like we can't have any kind of conversation yeah. until we talk about this film. Sure.
1: They got into me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. I saw this film. I knew nothing about it going in. I knew that it was called Teeth. I saw it in theaters here in Seattle. I think, what year did it come out?
1: 2008, So yes, I
0: was still in college. Um, One of my best friends, Jesse, said we had to go see this movie. Saw it in a theater. It was a community building experience because it was like, it was, first of all, I love a dark comedy. I love a horror (laughs) comedy. I love when a horror comedy is equal parts funny and horror, you know, like where you don't skimp on either. This film is so good. Every man in the film is an asshole, so you're no exception. Your character, That's right. That's you're a very right. generally chill person. I was the surprise asshole. <laughs> you were the surprise right. asshole, but I don't want to give any spoilers because <laughs> I went into it knowing nothing, and it changed my life. And oh my I felt gosh. bonded with everyone in that theater. Oh. So, when you make a decision <laughs> to do a movie such right. as Teeth, yeah. What does that decision process look like? Let's let's go back. <laughs> so
1: I, I was 19 and I dropped out of Carnegie Mellon University as an acting major. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was never the kind of actor that was going to leave school. And I booked a film with, to me, really big stars. William Hurt, Rita Wilson, Juliana Margulies. These were sort of iconic people to me. And... That film ended up ultimately not going anywhere, but shortly after wrapping that, the opportunity for teeth came along and I love a dark comedy culty film myself, and I saw this as the opportunity um, to play the boy you know <laughs> the boy in the movie um, who has a secret and who ultimately uh, suffers an unbearable fate and I just felt. That I thought the script was funny. Mm -hmm. Uh, I loved Mitchell, who was the director and Carrie Barden was the casting director and he had cast me in my first film and we had established a really beautiful rapport and I really enjoyed going in for all of the projects he cast and I knew that he um, did well by every film that he worked on so. I felt like I was in good hands with the people that were surrounding the project. My agents (laughs) questioned the decision to do it. They thought, what are you thinking? (laughs) And um, I just had a gut feeling about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ultimately, I felt like it was a little ahead of its time. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I might be wrong about this, but my memory is that it went to Sundance and Harvey Weinstein bought it, Mm -hmm. which seems like the biggest irony of all time. Mm -hmm. And then he passed it off to a subset company called Roadside Attractions, which ultimately released the movie much, much later and in the dead of winter at a time when no one really wants to watch a movie about a girl with teeth in her vagina. That's the, you know, it's really the, the summer back to college film. Uh, That's the experience that I thought everyone was expecting. Um, and so I think it had sort of a strange, strained release. Um, And it's slowly built this cult following over time, which we knew was possible when we Mm -hmm. were making it.
0: Well, that's part of what makes a cult film a cult film, is it has to have some element of ahead of its time. And it's usually not, you know, the release is either unceremonious or not like, you know, the the people who fall in love with the film, like would have expected some ticker tape parade (laughs) for the film. (laughs) But we know in the industry, sometimes the budget runs out before, you know, before it's release time. So you've got this beautiful film and then no way to like get everyone to see it. That's a crazy story though, about like all the hands that got passed through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It's such a, it's, it's a, Feminist horror film, it's so good, it's so twisted, and the whole time you're thinking, no, <laughs> no, uh. But then you're like, okay. And, you know, what I love about it is, uh, um, I think, a very universal thing and something Dayla and I are always exploring in our work <laughs> <laughs> is, um, you know, Looking at things with a different perspective. You know, like she, in the span of the movie, she goes from monster to superhero.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's all about her own perspective of herself. And I think that's something that a lot of people can resonate with. Absolutely. My listeners um, will probably know you most recently from a show called Magicians. That's right. And now, because I'm very candid and honest in my podcast, I admit to you, I've seen nary an episode. But as I was reading about it, I'm like, why haven't I watched this entire thing? Because this sounds right up my alley. But. (laughs) You
1: might like it. I hope you like it. If you don't, I won't be offended. And I expect you to retain that level of honesty with me. Always.
0: Um, I'll be honest, it's because I have the um, anxious trait of re-watching things I've already seen. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, over and over, I just put it on as background noise and go about my day-to-day activities. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. But I do love binging a new show, and I'm, like, a big... Um, anything having to do with witches and wizards and magic and stuff then I think is right like up my alley. if you eye. liked Buffy at all at any point? Uh, I never really got into Buffy, but I can appreciate what Buffy stands for, for a lot of people. Yeah. And I did watch the musical episode probably about we five have times. We had musical episodes. Yes. sort
1: of became <laughs> one of, you know, they, they sort of handed that over to me every, every season, which was, uh, a joy in (laughs) some ways and a curse in others, um, no time on a TV schedule, but we had a lot of fun with what we were given. Um, yeah, that was a job that came around. I guess we did the pilot in 2014, like late 2014 and, um, in new Orleans, waited a year to get picked up and then we're shooting up until the pandemic in 2020. Um, And yeah, I loved my character, Elliot. The show is based on a book series by uh, an author named Lev Grossman, um, who asked what if Harry Potter and Narnia had characters that were moving through the early stages of adulthood Mm. and not innocent children from Mm -hmm. Um, the Christian lore of <laughs> most fantasy properties. And um, he did a really nuanced job of building these worlds and these characters. So when the audition came up, I got to use the book as a blueprint for my character, which was really helpful. Um, and he's sort of this upper class grad school hedonist party boy who becomes uh, an unwilling king of a narnia like fantasy world. <laughs> so that was the the rough trajectory of that character. For the first season and then it gets it goes from there. It gets weirder and weirder every episode throws a, a new wrench into the soup. <laughs> a new wrench into the soup. You know the soup. You know, you know wrench that metallic soup. soup. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starving.
0: Now I want to know. Um, okay, so I know that you have a theater background. I do. Yeah. You moderated um, a panel here at the Emerald City Comic Con um, with Bendelacrim and I. Sure you did. were our moderator, and I have to say, it was the your moderation style. You'd think there was no audience in the room because <laughs> it was like we were chatting. In the green room and it was, you know, very casual conversation, oh, yeah. swapping war stories and stuff. And <laughs> and then we like prepped in the backstage area. Did and prep- we you know, we got mic we got handed microphones. <laughs> and then we walked and sat on these sofas, and it was like you just picked up the conversation we were previously having. You were like So,
1: (laughs) drag, how'd that happen? (laughs) (laughs)
0: And um, it was a really, it was, um, I always love moments to get to like talk about, you know, the the work, the process, oh, yeah. all the art school terms mm. I paid for, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> <laughs> I stayed all four years. Mm. I was a great- Congratulations. I, I was, was never going to leave crubber.
1: school. I was the goodest boy. <laughs> I disappointed everyone.
0: Um, but it's because you had an opportunity. That's right. And, you know, that is kind of a thing in performing arts mm-hmm. is sometimes you have to make the decision, um, like- carry out the education or go for the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, I'm a firm advocate for like, we all find our own paths in life. You know, I don't think there's, I I think, you know, we've been conditioned to put this ooh-la-la attitude Mm. on having a degree when if you have an opportunity and the universe is screaming, Hey, yeah. Here's another agree. path. Oh, yeah. yeah. hmm I mean.
1: There were moments along the way that affirmed that it was the right decision. It just was a, a weird thing to go from that conservatory 16-hour day mm-hmm. intensity to the silence of <laughs> being alone in a room. <laughs> being alone in a room for hours <laughs> <Yeah>. waiting. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, like, had my own... I I had my path all laid out for me Mm. after um, graduating from art school. I was substitute teaching at my school sometimes, which I loved. Mm. Um, I was working in musical theater here in Seattle. And I was doing drag on the weekends when I had those gigs. I was hosting a show. I was like, I had this really, you know comfortable thing going on and then drag race presented itself as an opportunity and it kind of veered me away from doing like theater the way that I liked to do it for a while. But once I like got it back on the rails, (laughs) I think when we get given opportunities, we can always find a way to veer back to our original idea. And if you're, if you're good at, um, navigating your opportunities mm-hmm. and maybe exploiting opportunities for what you really want to do in life. Mm-hmm. Have you found that to be true? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when uh, the universe presents something you wouldn't have expected, you have no choice but to reframe Mm -hmm. um, your original intent with like a surprising piece of information (laughs) that might fall out of the sky. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been secretly working on some music for some years and it's a thing that I'm really passionate about and something that for a long time I wanted to keep pure because it felt like the acting was this industrial thing that I was pursuing and had taken on. Um, just the mechanics of like industry conversation around the, all of the business Mm -hmm. of it all. And, uh, and music was a thing that saved me between jobs because it was a way to express and articulate my own voice. And, um, I've gone through several iterations of working with the wrong people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think now I'm working with the right people and that's very exciting. Um, an opportunity fell out of the sky late last (laughs) year. Someone who had seen me on magicians randomly who became a really close friend in the last year, eight months, however long it's been. Um, And they said, I think I know you. And I think I know that we need to work together and (laughs) I have a strong feeling. And um, they're part of a much larger music community in Los Angeles. So um, I've really been enjoying that process Mm -hmm. Um, after A big heartbreak with the wrong, you know, when a collaboration goes south and, you know, you got to cut your losses and (laughs) all that. Oh, Oh, boy. Oh, Oh, boy.
0: The work. The work. It hurts. (laughs) So um, being... um, having a background in theater and Mm -hmm. then finding yourself doing film and TV work that deals with larger than life, you know, (laughs) not necessarily realistic situations. That's right. right. Um, How do you, you know, what's that been like as as an actor? I think
1: my theater background prepared me to jump into (laughs) worlds that we wouldn't otherwise be able to see or understand. I think that... Um, the fun thing about being on Magicians, the fun thing about doing a genre show or a Mm. horror show um, is that you have to put yourself in beyond extraordinary circumstances to create the illusion of something real that couldn't possibly exist Mm. in this realm here. Um, And the fun thing about the show was that every episode was was different and put me through a different pace. In this episode, you're going to be swashbuckling and <laughs> singing a song. In this episode, your body's going to be inhabited by the ghost of your boyfriend's ex-lover from the 1920s. Uh, in this episode, you're harvesting fairy eggs in a forest and hoarding them from the queen. In this episode, you know, it just... It it was... Um, there's a, This is a heist episode. You're robbing a bank. You're, I um, freaking it's, love that. It's wild. <laughs> you might enjoy it. I hope you do. Um, it's certainly... Yeah, I was in Vancouver shooting uh-huh. that for a long time. So, um, which is a gorgeous place to be. Um, and I also feel like I've been in quarantine for 7 <laughs> years. <laughs>
0: yeah, you were you were joking about that recently that um, cuz we've been crossing paths many times here at the Emerald City Comic Con. Here at the
1: Emerald City Comic Con.
0: Um it was it was very fun to see how um all the all the queer guests just immediately flock to one another. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> it's like in the I green thought, room. <laughs> I have an embarrassing confession. Mm. I thought. <laughs> you thought I, thought I was straight. I understand. You know. <laughs>
1: You just give off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought the Emerald City Comic Con was an all-queer convention because I thought it was a Wizard of Oz reference.
0: No, Seattle's the Emerald I City. I realize that now. Um, um, yeah, so it's been, all weekend, it's been um, you and I and DeLa and Harvey Kean and Nathan. Nathan. I Oh, I'm forgetting Nathan's last name right now. Fo- uh, Nathan Pirate. We you know
1: Nathan's <laughs> last name. Um, Nathan Fode. Fode. Is that how you say it? I don't
0: know. I didn't even remember Apologies it. to Nathan. It was a whirlwind of a, a couple of days. Like one moment you're, you are you know, doing photo ops and a, yeah. and a butch photographer. How, how was it for you?
1: I mean, this was your, have you been doing these? This is my first you You've done a lot of I'm sure. Yeah,
0: this is, uh, DeLa and I, this was our first time doing... Um, a convention that wasn't specifically a drag convention. Mm, mm -hmm. And it was a lot of fun. It's really cool to see where fan bases overlap. Mm. And I think that one thing that resonated with me the most was... Um there was a wife who has clearly been dragged to quite a few comic cons. <laughs> and she said, "My husband, this is so great because my husband's overdoing his thing, but I finally have someone Amazing. that I'm excited to." Yeah. Meet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um I've been nerding out the whole weekend.
1: Yeah. It's an eclectic it's an crew. eclectic
0: crew. That's yeah. what I was going to say. One minute you're doing your photo op. Yeah, the, the next, next minute, minute you're yeah. having high tea with Elvira. Elvira.
1: <laughs> Gosh, I just missed her, I think. I, I got here the day after. she.
0: Oh, she's so. always so kind and so sweet and everything you'd want mm. from um, a lifelong queer icon. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> We talked a little bit in our panel, oh, and I think it's uh, a lovely conversation that I'm always ready to have. Let's go. My listeners have heard me spout off about it plenty, but we talked a lot in our panel about um, uh, the influx of representation we're seeing in mainstream media right now. And the higher percentage of um, queer performers performing queer roles written by queer writers. However, at the very top level, when there's a movie that's being churned out by some, you know, big blockbuster um, interpo- enterprise, um, and when it's very clear that there's like a lead role written to be Oscar bait. Right. That queer written role will go to a straight male actor mm. because mm-hmm. um, that's how you win Oscars. That's is right. Take a well-known straight male actor. A bankable star. Yeah, um, and um, with broad appeal, and right. then ask him to do the unthinkable, right. which is portray cool. a, right, a right, queer right, right. character. Understand what it might be like <laughs> to lie in bed with another man and get him an award for it. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm hoping, you know, we've definitely we've definitely seen progress um in the last couple award seasons, but not like leaps and bounds. Right. Like it's like hmm. it was recently when um there was, you know, I think two queer actors nominated in the same category and it's the first time it's ever happened. And then I looked up like how many queer people have won Oscars right. and it's like five. Yeah, It's like, it, it's something like five or seven. And um, that's crazy cause I never right.
1: thought about it. It was a nail in the coffin of your career, I think, up until a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I first got the offer for Magicians, I had two simultaneous thoughts, which were, this is a great character, I can't wait to play him, and "Oh, hope this doesn't ruin my career. Even 2015 was a different landscape than 2018 or 2020, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, I think we're definitely seeing...
0: Studios respond to public opinion. You know, I
1: think and and that's a double edged sword in itself. And I think the conversation is nuanced, yeah. you know. I love Timothy Chalamet and Call Me by your name. <laughs> I think he's brilliant in it, mm-hmm. you know. I also and and should Tom Hanks have apologized for, for being in Philadelphia? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. Who, mm-hmm. no they would not have offered that role to a gay actor. There weren't Yeah you know.
0: I, I, mean, I think I often am looking at like, okay, what can we do from this point forward? Because I don't think, I don't think there's much. I, I think sometimes it's easy to look at mistakes of the past and complain right. about them, right, right. rather than look at like how are we going to keep pressing forward. Um, but I do, I do feel like um, more quickly, maybe because of social media, but more mm-hmm, quickly. Mm-hmm big studios are responding to the attitudes of their audience. And so I do think we're making progress at a faster rate, mm-hmm. especially with queer representation right. in, in mainstream media right now. But it does seem like there's still this right. like right. upper right. echelon right. that like... 100%. And I see that just... And, and that's, a, talk, that's a
1: bottom line too. Yeah. That's financial, right? In exactly. In nature a lot of times. So. You know, I
0: just... Yeah. I just saw this clip. My favorite film is Death Becomes Her. And I just saw this <laughs> clip of Goldie Hawn, who's just so effortless in interviews. Yes. But she's talking about how they filmed a different ending um, for Death Becomes Her, and it's like a, vi- a drastically different ending. And in the script, there's even a like a third variation on the ending. And then they tested it out... I don't remember overseas. Maybe the Netherlands or in France, and audiences didn't respond to it because it wasn't as like funny and shticky as other parts of the movie. So then they reshot it with the ending that we all know, and Goldie was like, "But the other ending was so poignant. What was my, it? My character got to lie and." In the end, it all came down to money, doesn't it? You know, like, <laughs> and it was just like, oh, Goldie. <laughs> um, the other ending was that they were completely unchanged from when we last saw them. Like, the, they were completely frozen in time. They looked the exact same, but they were just bored. And they had nothing <laughs> left to right, do. Right, And then they just by chance see Ernest with his new wife, and he's old, And Meryl's character, Madeline, says, um, oh, doesn't he look terrible? Don't you feel bad for him? And Goldie Han's character, Helen, lies and says, yeah. And that's how the film ends, I guess. (laughs) And I guess that wasn't bang, bang, ha, ha. Right, right, right. I love that. Um, So I do think, (laughs) I do think, yes, it still all comes down to money, but I also think, we're seeing examples of like I mean, for a while, didn't we think? Didn't we think Disney was going to cave for a while? Wasn't Disney kind of being like a little uh, tiptoey about things, and then recently just decided, right, never time. mind. Yeah, everyone. we're going to go for it. Right, like right. everyone's welcome at Disney. Gay, 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 right, gay. Right,
1: right, <laughs> yeah, 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 right. <laughs> Like I don't know if they could ever be taken down <laughs> due to the sheer volume of their yeah massive
0: yeah I um,
1: corporate structure.
0: So we see, you know, I think we're seeing all we're seeing all this ebb and flow right now, and I'm excited that there's more, you know, I'm excited that because what you were talking about, it could be a career-ending move to be associated, to right. be you know out
1: as queer. Yeah. I feel like I'm still, I I mean, the world is adjusting to an influx of new voices and representation. And I feel like personally, I feel like I I have had a little bit of a cultural whiplash just (laughs) in terms of having to survive in the oppressive system for so long or trying to get by or people telling me that, you know, that I I could potentially pass in more straight roles. And so that was like really the edge that I had in this industry. Mm-hmm. And um, just uh, never uh, never feeling f- that I could express myself in my fullness. But then when I look back at, in, at, at some of the roles that I've played, even if um, the characters are straight, there's always been a queer component to the <laughs> storytelling or the director or someone involved who who just understood another another layer um, of what it was that they were building and making. Um, did that make any sense?
0: No, it makes a lot of sense and it actually made me think, I think to keep writing characters authentically, we need to stop thinking in terms of binaries, you know, because I think right. more and more, you know like my my youngest brother is also queer um but you know he's 23 different generation and the people in his age group are just hung up, less hung up on things yeah. Yeah. they're not as hung up on yeah. gender norms I they're not it. as hung up on labels and you know everyone's everyone's attracted to everyone to some extent and and I also think about progress in these little, like, little moments that I've experienced recently. Like, I went and saw a circus show at the Edinburgh Fringe mm. Festival. And um at this show, it was a predominantly straight audience. But the show was extremely queer. <laughs> and I was like getting kind of nervous, you know, like being so visibly queer in this predominantly straight audience. And then also like, how are the dudes sitting next to me gonna respond to these two circus performers making out and getting all erotic in the trapeze, you know? And there was just, you know, there wasn't like, it was not what I was worried about, you know, like, I was worried about like being transported back to high school and hearing the straight dudes like shout things and laugh and mock, you know. And it was none of that. And actually, then at the end of the act, like some of the straight dudes sitting next to me that I was so worried about were giving um, these performers a standing ovation. And so it's a completely different time, and yet. the people who are calling the shots about what's getting made are still thinking in terms of like this character's straight and that means he likes women. Right, right. And right. I think you know what's reading a lot more authentic these days is uh, no hard lines being drawn like that or like you know realizing that everything's fluid and can change yeah. and real characters yeah. would I mean like characters written from reality would mm-hmm. ebb and flow like that as well. Yeah. So <laughs> long roundabout way of saying, even if you were playing straight characters, maybe that little like nuance you were talking about, that little like hint of something right. that you're talking about made those characters more authentic because you were bringing your own experiences into that role.
1: Right. And <laughs> I love the, the idea that we could, as a society live beyond gender and that the mm-hmm. kids are providing that space and that conversation. I, I look on social media and it seems like every 14-year-old is sort of born with, you know, like a women's studies and queer studies <laughs> degree in their hands. <laughs> and I'm so impressed with how articulate they are and how how um, they have this facility to express what they want, how they view themselves, how that's changing mm-hmm. and um, providing a conversation that's global and Mm -hmm. corporations then have to sort of listen to that because we can't really hide from each other. Everyone is seeing everything all the time for better or for worse. (laughs) (laughs) Everything everywhere, all at once. Yeah.
0: Also a fantastic movie. movie. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say, I love the trend of multiverses right now. I love when like the film industry is going through some collective thing like right, right, right. We're coming out of Vikings and now we're going right, right. Um, <laughs> multiverse multiverses. We had an
1: episode of Magicians that was a multiverse episode for my character, or a multi timeline, alternate timeline. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. was more of a thing, an alternate timeline thing. And also, that character, um, there weren't strict rules about his sexuality. I mm-hmm. had husbands and wives and boyfriends and other boyfriends that I had to murder and other boyfriends <laughs> that you know I married and. Um, it was uh, it was nice for, there, for, for it never to have been set in stone and for there to be an openness of expression for both male and female characters on that show. And I would say um, they did a good job with not rigidly defining anyone.
0: I want to ask, though, so we've yeah. talked a little bit about Being, you know, open about who you are in this industry. And I feel like there is a double standard um, Mm. where if you are a character actor, it's like, who cares? Right. Who cares? Because you're a character actor. You're like comic relief. Like, I, if, you know, for me to even work in this industry, it's like, I don't pass at all. So it's like mostly I'm playing characters in drag and now they're starting to write more characters that are non-binary or gender non-conforming. So, you know, I have a chance of like playing out of drag roles and uh, things being made these days. But when you're like when you're leading man handsome, <laughs>
1: um,
0: <laughs> there must be me. a pressure put on you, like because you look the part of um, you know, the boy next door or the straight male lead. Mm. And so there's probably the, the added pressure of like you can't be perceived as queer because then you're not going to get cast as a I straight think that's male anymore. A strong
1: fear that I carried with me up until a couple years ago, just because that was the world and the industry that that was in like full swing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funny, I remember I had an interview, I feel like it must have been The Advocate, a few years ago and I was on the show and they asked what it meant to play this character. And I said, well, you know, I never thought that I would be able to play a queer king in a fantasy realm <laughs> that didn't seem achievable to me as a kid mm-hmm. and I'm glad that I get to do that now and that you know for my inner child or whatever I feel like I'm something is complete or something has been healed in that and having taken on that part and I and I didn't have that as a kid you know mm-hmm. I said that That was sort of how I phrased it, and more or less, probably more articulate. (laughs) (laughs) And and they came back and said, just to just for clarification, Hales straight, right? (laughs) No, you idiots.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I had always wanted to see a king represented on television, and.
1: (laughs) <laughs> and no I just it felt like then I then I needed to like declaratively come out uh-huh. in this way which ultimately I was happy to do but it just felt like what I said and then I said like no I'm you know we're we you know the quote I saw character.
0: the quote I saw was definitely not straight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was more to it
1: than that. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah maybe I'm prone to being long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know what you're
0: talking about. Um, but I but I felt
1: a little bit like I had kind I felt like I had sort of made myself clear mm-hmm. and that it but then when the issue came out, it was this big declaration yeah. of here are 2019's queer icons leading the charge mm-hmm. of representation and I thought, "Oh, well that's because they're at that time in four years, three years ago, there were two of us, four, yeah. four of us, seven of us. Yeah. Um, but you know,
0: well, I feel like, yeah, I mean, as, uh, as much as our society loves the binary, like just the idea of a binary, you know, everything's either this or that, you know, we love a dichotomy, a right. dichotic binary, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah we also love people declaring themselves, you know? I mean, we've now heard every time Demi Lovato changes her pronouns. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Did I get that name right? It was Demi who was, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, we hear these things because it's sensationalism, you know? And I think back to, you know, my childhood, when, before social media, it was that People Magazine, we've talked about this a few times on this podcast, but People Magazine would have the newest outed celebrity, and it would just have a caption, yep, I'm gay. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and now, you know, now right. it happens on the internet, but it it feels like, I don't know what's the mentality behind it. I don't know if it's just clickbait. Mm-hmm or if it's just like this fascination with people declaring right. themselves we love to know those tidbits
1: well it's also clout yeah right i mean today it's clout it's i i have I, I never thought that i would say this but my queerness might be more of an edge in this industry mm-hmm. than than anything whatever that means i yeah. don't know what that means i think everyone's on their own path and figuring out how to make this work for themselves and how to pursue this in a way that feels authentic to them, yeah. you know, but, um, yeah, it, it feels like there's like a, a currency to queerness today that didn't exist well, a couple years ago,
0: you know, because everything gets
1: commodified. So it's like,
0: you know, there's a commodification of art. That's uh, especially, you know, like I've competed in a couple reality TV competitions. (laughs) And of course, I go on to showcase what I do as an artist, you know, but there's also a huge um, commodification aspect to all of that. And it's definitely been harder in my career to stick to like, I'm going to do, you know, cabaret theater shows mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at venues that seat like 200. Cause that's where I feel the most alive at, you know, doing an right. intimate cabaret right. show. That's where I feel the most effective.
1: I saw you in LA with major scales a few years oh. ago. At the Dynasty mm-hmm. typewriter. And you oh, the Dynasty typewriter. I
0: remember it. Oh, we love it. And then I also, you know, Dayla and I have also like, You know, we've had huge success in touring our um, show that's, you know, much bigger venues. It's a much higher production. I like doing both things, but the distinction is they're both things that I created and they're both things that like, you know, it's me getting to tell my own story. And I think it's a privilege, you know, when you create your own work that you can then be a little Mm -hmm. picky about when you're going to, um, take time off from creating your own work to do someone else's work. So, um, which, you know, like before drag race and before like taking what I do as an artist Mm. to this level, it was more like the traditional actor of you gotta, you gotta take every job that you can get. And. I sang at a a mega church on Easter once, uh, and I was like, I think I don't know any drag gig I could take that would feel weirder than this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that what you've created supersedes any other opportunity that might come your way because... It's yours, right?
0: Yeah, cause and we have fun, you yeah, know. <laughs> right. The point, the point of it all, and you're sharing that fun. Yeah,
1: and other people are feeling that and loving you for it.
0: So, hail Appleman! <laughs> where'd you grow up? Yes, Jinx. Uh, wh- how do uh, you? Where'd you grow up?
1: Um, well, um, I was born in the village of uh-huh. New York City. Oh, just Greenwich the village. I've <laughs> not heard of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, my, um, I was born at St. Vincent's Hospital in the West Village. Um, my mother is a modern dancer, performance artist, mm. who had found a loft on Bleecker Street in the 70s and held on to it <laughs> forever. So that's where I lived in my early years. And then um, lived in Rockland County, half an hour north, in a little town called Nyack. Mm-hmm. Um and moved back to the city for high school and did the performing arts high school thing at LaGuardia. That was my, my teenage
0: years. (laughs) So was, uh, it sounds like performing and acting was pretty much always.
1: Yeah. I think when I was nine or 10, I went to a little summer theater program that my parents put me in, Mm -hmm. um, because I would always play dead around the house and they would find me lying in strange (laughs) positions, unmoving and uh, like sort of, um, yeah. And so they put me in in this this little summer theater program and um, I'll be canceled for this, but I played Christopher Columbus with a big floppy hat and a feather. And uh, (laughs) um, the woman who ran the program Told my mother that she was happy to have me in class, but that I keep giving her notes, uh. <laughs> and and that I was right. <laughs> so,
0: Magicians is wrapped, yes?
1: Yeah. Oh, way wrapped. Yeah, way wrapped. Dead, I thought so. I was just double checking. Yeah, it, it, there, it, could, it, there could it, be reboots. It, we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> but what? um, we, we died in 2020 during the pandemic. Um, Along with the former versions of ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: What's next
1: for you? What what have you got your your horizons set on? Um, I am working on a show right now in New York. I wish that I could tell you everything about it publicly uh, on this, but it's um, it's they won't even send me scripts. It's that top Mm -hmm. secret, which is it's um, it is scary and very gay. That's probably as much as I can say.
0: Scary and very gay. You know, I mean, what I love especially about the openness and it, what we've been talking about this whole time is that there have always – well, first of all, there's just – queer people run the entertainment industry behind the scenes. You know, all of the elements – that make it, that make it like entertaining to watch. It's usually queer people doing that mm-hmm. stuff. Let's just call it duck a duck. Mm-hmm. A duck.
1: <laughs> but
0: I don't think a lot of horror fans realize how much queerness there is in the horror film mm-hmm. industry as well. And um, it's been crazy to see like you know um, different responses to the new the new Chucky series, which was unapologetically queer, huh. and even. Chucky, the murderous doll, seemed to have a very progressive view on sexuality. <laughs> and, um, And then you see, like, people getting upset by this and being like, I can't believe they're polluting the horror genre. And it's like they have no idea that the creator of Child's Play and Chucky and that everyone working on the entire Chucky franchise since its inception have been queer. (laughs) That's my favorite part. It's it's like, it's the same joy I get when I kick ass on Overwatch. (laughs) Or
1: like, you know, guys slapping each other's asses in the locker room.
0: Like, yeah, and then and then, how that how that not gay? How that not gay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, well, I am so glad that you know you 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 sound like you've wanted to be an actor and performer your whole life,
1: and that's what you're doing. <sighs> And you're damn good yeah. at it. Well, through the long womb, the long COVID <laughs> womb, reemerging into the world.
0: And you're just a generally chill person. You're well, very.
1: You know, it might be the jet lag. You're you, like,
0: why was the panel so <laughs> conversational? And I was
1: like, well, half of my body is in the Midwest. <laughs> you're just.
0: You're, you've got a very calming energy, <gasps> oh. um, which is not typical from people you meet. Raised in the village? No. Um, <laughs>
1: Have you met anyone else raised in the village? Yeah, Lady Bunny.
0: (laughs) I have my compulsory questions that I ask every guest. Are you ready for them?
1: I guess so. Do I have a choice?
0: I mean, you can abstain. I'm not here to force you to do anything. (laughs) I'm ready. First question is, who's your celebrity crush today? Oh my God.
1: Why is that like a hard question? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Not literally, I'm just, my mind is like a, like a <laughs> blank wall. <laughs> I don't have one right now. Oh, wow. I'm not like, this is the there's first... not like a per, a person that I'm fixated on. Right this now. is
0: the first. Um, uh oh, this is the first blank wall I'm answer. Breaking
1: boundaries. <laughs> Here I That's go. That's fine.
0: You know what? That's fine because we do not shame I mean, asexuals. I, I,
1: yeah, I guess I'm asexual now. Yeah. You're celebrity asexual. Mm. You don't. I'm celeb.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I tell oh. you? Oh, you just thought of one.
1: <laughs> I can't remember his name. <laughs> oh, man. We'll circle back to we'll circ- it. Yeah, I'll remember it.
0: I have to work out a bit on you. Mm-hmm. Um, Go for it. Last night, I had to Google. I had to like look up the meaning of sapiosexual. Oh, or right. sapiosexual. Okay, yeah.
1: I've heard that recently, too, and I had to look it up.
0: And I was like, well... I guess this person's not attracted to me. I just had to look this up because it's like, it's like an attraction to to intelligence, (laughs) intellect. And I would like looked it up and I was like, well, I guess that counts me out. Anyway, (laughs) Okay. My next question for you. I don't know if this is going to be easier or harder than the last question. (laughs) The last question is normally the fluff question. Um, Okay. Are you spiritual? yes cool. yes yeah
1: <laughs> i am are you
0: yeah i my spirituality is therapy and
1: witchcraft yeah same <laughs> i thought Unblock that about the you. mind <laughs> understand where create the ener- a ritual where your energy's going be and... mindful
0: about where you're directing your energy yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah are you an astrology person uh not like not hardcore yeah i don't know i I like
0: knowing uh, yeah i'm i don't go deep into it because that's not my connection to things but right right, right, right. i know enough about like you know like the the different signs i am i know i'm a i know i'm like
1: hardcore virgo okay i know that about myself right (laughs) i'm a capricorn we're earth signs that's nice Um, um that bodes well
0: my brother's a Capricorn and my yeah. grandmother was a Capricorn. I grew up with some Capricorns.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you think? Stubborn. But you've been so, like, I've oh, been I have so, a lot of water. I'm like a cancer uh, rising. Tater
0: see, water. and now we're getting into the rising, and both of us said, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. Did, <laughs> and then
1: we're talking 17 about, but... degrees.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, my final question for you is <laughs> what's your go to karaoke song?
1: I hate. Karaoke. That's fine. Um, <laughs> no, I don't always. It's just, um, I don't have one. Wow, I'm really striking out.
0: You know what? Here on Hijinx, we try not to oh judge anyone gosh. for um, anything, really. Mm. Their shortcomings, their oh disappointments, their failures. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: I feel like I feel like do you have any other questions you can ask just, me.
0: You're just so spent from the I'm just so jet lagged. My brain emotional punishing. and intellectual conversation oh, it was we were having so, before. So it's so deep. If any
1: sapiosexuals were listening. <laughs> <laughs> what is a, a sapiosexual is someone who's in, who's attracted to someone solely so, based on their intellect? Well,
0: I saw a couple definitions, okay. but I don't think it's solely based on their intellect, but intelligence is a like on. a turn on. Turn and on. then, um, but... Another definition said, like, they are fascinated and attracted to the, like, the special skills of that person. So not necessarily, like, if you're, you know, a freaking Einstein, but if you're really uh, intelligent in your area of expertise or something. I don't know. Mm. So anyway. On that riveting... Oh, gosh. Don't end it like that. Don't don't leave me. Where
1: can my um, (laughs) listeners find you? They can find me on Instagram at show, which is (laughs) silly. And on Twitter at hail underscore Appleman, which is my name. Um, I have such a weird relationship with social media these days. I feel like I have just sectioned myself off from participating and for the most part. And uh, I need to reestablish some kind of consistent understanding (laughs) of what I want from it at least, if not to actually invest time into it. How are you doing with that?
0: Um, You know, I I built certain boundaries that I didn't adhere to the first Mm. time I did Drag Race. Uh, And I'm adhering to them this time. What are
1: those boundaries? You
0: know, just like... um, Not convincing myself that social media is reality and not convincing myself that I I need to read everyone's opinions to be an Mm. effective artist. Mm. I used to think of it as taking notes. Like I was really good at taking notes. So I thought, oh, these are fans giving me notes and maybe Mm -hmm. it will help me improve. Mm. At least that was the excuse I gave Mm -hmm. myself so Mm -hmm. I could go down that rabbit hole. And now I realize now um, I have collaborators for a reason. <laughs> I don't. Right. I don't need to read everyone's opinions because it stopped being. It you know it might never not have ever been constructive, but it definitely is just kind of like um, Trixie. I think said it at some point. Like some things are for the fans and not for the. Not for the artists, mm, you know? Mm, 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 like, let the fans, they need a place to vent their emotions about art.
1: <laughs> but it's also completely that's right. different. Well, the drag race fans are particularly impassioned, well, it's, right? I mean,
0: it's just very different when you're doing reality versus scripted, because, like, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think people want a place to talk about their favorite TV shows. Right, right Whatever right, that right, may right. be. That's right. So if it's a scripted mm, show, they're yeah. talking about characters. Right. But if it's a reality they're show. They're talking
1: about you and the way that you're edited and then what that means. And you,
0: and you have to remind thought. yourself that, mm-hmm. at least in their perspective, they're mm-hmm. talking about characters
1: on a show. Yeah. And, yeah. you know. It's also important, I mean, at, at things like. The, the weekend that we just had you know the the sweet children that come up and and bear their souls to you you know they're they're responding to at least to me I know it's they're responding to the character that mm-hmm. I helped create that was then you know fully formed in in an edit or and meant
0: you know, something to them
1: meant something to them mm-hmm. and they're they're seeing that person when they see me yeah and it's really you know that's a very it's it's um there's a there's an important <laughs> distinction there where um it's really not about me
0: well i'm continually trying to practice like the things that i say that i think would be helpful in situations you know like yeah. people ask me my opinions on certain things and i i say my like this is my ideal this is what it would be and that's usually what i'm working at trying to be myself. It doesn't, you know, like sometimes I'm still in the process of working towards being that person. But I took some of my own advice recently, which was, um, you know, the place to put my focus and my energy is the in-person interactions, not the online interactions. Mm. Um, And of course, I love being able to connect and share things like much farther with much farther reach on social media and online and through digital content. But the comments that I take to heart are the ones face to face, because that's where you really like get to meet Mm -hmm. people and experience, like hear about their experience. Right. Right. And your work can be more than just, um, Oh, what did I call it today? I was on Harvey's, podcast, and I said, I dress up like a woman and dance around for dollars.
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. No, no, you, like you, and then there are yeah, the kids who come to you and say, you actually, you saved my life. Yeah. You know, because of you, I feel safe in my own skin. You've changed my trajectory for forever. You and
0: know? we are getting to be that representation that has been lacking in what we mm. were, were talking about mm-hmm. all throughout mm-hmm. this riveting oh episode goodness. with my guest. Oh, boy. Hail Appleman! Hail boho show! Hold my bowdo. <laughs> <laughs> Hold the bow. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you for letting me invade your hotel room. Oh, thank you for coming at Comic Con. <laughs> yeah, Thanks yeah. for being such a great moderator. Oh my gosh! Thanks. I hope it wasn't too sleepy. <laughs> no, no, it was it was the perfect energy, and I just the audience felt like we really were all to it.
1: just where we were.
0: We got a standing ovation. To, I'm at a point in my career where I always want to analyze a performance, but I've started mm, saying. Okay. I always want to analyze what, I mean, I'm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I am mm-hmm. i won't even wait moments after right. the show. I'll we start giving my at, music partner. We both, partner, I think, yeah. I also exchanged. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how, did exactly. you, how did you how just do you, process how, that? Exactly. Let's talk about yeah, yeah. I'll go up to my music partner. We'll get off stage, sold out show, standing ovation. We'll get off stage and I'll be like, you know, that one joke's really not working. We're going to have to fix that. And, And he's like, can we take a moment, you know? Mm. So now I've got a mantra of you can't. You can't argue with a standing ovation. So whatever critiques I might have for the show, if it's a standing ovation, I got to I gotta trust that it went well. You know, blah, 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 blah. These are mantras you can transpose, <laughs> find parallels in your own life. Um, thank you so much. Uh,
1: thank you. What a joy. What a joy to meet you and be with you. <laughs>
0: And thank you all for listening to Hi, Jinx, here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi, Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else, and I'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi, Jinx! Oh, um, Mom. To listen to Hi Jinx One Day Early and Ad-Free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepherd. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts, executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio.